First reading tonight uh, is from the book of Job. Actually, it's the very final chapter. So uh, it is, uh, as if you don't have the Bible on your device, uh, it's be on page 462 of your pew Bibles. So it begins with, Then Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. You asked, who is this that obscures my plans without knowledge? Surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. You said, listen now, and I will speak. I will question you, and you shall answer me. My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. After the Lord had said these things to Job, he said to Eliphaz the Temanite, I am angry with you and your two friends because you have not spoken the truth about me as my servant Job has. So now take seven bulls and seven rams and go to my servant Job and sacrifice a burnt offering for yourselves. My servant Job will pray for you and I will accept his prayer and not deal with you according to your folly. You have not spoken the truth about me as my servant Job has. So Eliphaz, the Temanite, Bildad, the Shuite, and Zophar, the Namathite, did what the Lord told them, and the Lord accepted Job's prayer. After Job had prayed for his friends, the Lord restored his fortunes and gave him twice as much as he had before. All his brothers and sisters and everyone who had known him before came and ate with him in his house. They comforted and consoled him over all the trouble the Lord had brought on him. And each one gave him a piece of silver and a gold ring. The Lord blessed the latter part of Job's life more than the former part. He had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen and a thousand donkeys and he also had seven sons and three daughters the first daughter he named Jemima the second Keziah and the third Karen Hapuk nowhere in all the land were there found women as beautiful as Job's daughters and their father granted them an inheritance along with their brothers after this Job lived 140 years He saw his children and their children to the fourth generation, and so Job died an old man and full of years. Hi, my name's Julie, and I'm reading from the New Testament, James, chapter 5, verses 7 to 12. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield, uh, to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you'll be judged. The judge is waiting at the door. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen about the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. 
All you need to say is simply yes or no, otherwise you'll be condemned. This is the word of the Lord. Well, hello, everyone. If I haven't met you before, my name is Andrew. I'm one of the pastors here at church, and I'd love to meet you after the service. Uh, please stick around for supper. Some of us go out for dinner as well. It'd be great to chat with you then. Let's pray as we look at James chapter 5. Heavenly Father, your word is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. Would you speak to us now? Challenge us, encourage us, convict us, change us. Help us to listen, and not just listen and forget, but listen and do what you say. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, this is a passage that I really need to listen to because something I know about myself, and my family knows this, particularly about myself, is I'm very impatient. I'm very impatient. I am the kind of person that likes things being fast and likes things being quick, and I don't like waiting. I'm very impatient. I'm the kind of person that would prefer to watch a quick basketball game rather than watch golf on the TV. No offence to any people who like golf. I'm the kind of person that would prefer to watch a quick running race rather than a five-day cricket match. That's not very Australian, but I just, I don't have the patience. I'm, I'm, I'm an impatient person. Since I started working in the offices at Kirribilli at church, I've already ranked all the cafes based on which ones serve me my coffee fast enough and which ones are too slow. And I've given them the flick. I'm impatient. And, and for me, something worse than death is walking behind a slow person. <laughs> it's just a pain. I cannot deal with it. But it's not just me. See, this week in the church offices at Kirribilli, there was a lot of impatient pastors because the internet was running at 50% of the normal speed. There's a lot of impatient pastors in the office, lots of groaning. In fact, I think you resonate with me that there's nothing more painful than seeing this come up on your screen. That, yes. <laughs> that just sends you into panic. You see that and you go, oh, no. We're all impatient, I think. And I think it's our society that really pushes this on us because we live in an age where everything's instant, isn't it? Instant groceries, Uber Eats at the tap of a button, instant information, everything's fast, everything's quick, and our society is just forcing us to be more and more impatient and want everything now. And yet, we know, don't we, that we actually need patience. We need patience. If you want to have a marriage that lasts, you need patience. If you want to have a friendship that lasts the long haul, when people are frustrating, you need patience. If you want to have a good relationship with a work colleague, you need patience. If you want to raise children, you need patience. We find it hard to be impatient. We find it hard to be impatient when things don't seem to go our way or don't seem to go according to our plans. You know, you're driving there in traffic, and you think to yourself, I just wish every other car on this road wasn't there. And this road was just me and me alone. Because it hasn't gone according to our plans, according to our timing, and we get impatient. 
But, you know, Wi-Fi and traffic, they're, they're kind of trivial things. What about when life really doesn't go our way? What about those moments when life doesn't go at all how we planned? You know, you hear a diagnosis you didn't expect to hear. You see a family member or a friend suffer. You deal daily with the struggle of a mental illness or of a body that fails you. And in those moments, I think they're the moments we really feel impatient, sometimes towards God. We say to God, what are you doing? God, do you care? God, would you wake up? God, would you hurry up? What's your plan here? What are you doing? Maybe that's you tonight. You feel that. You feel weary. You feel impatient by the world, by life. Well, the people James is writing to, they knew what that was like. They were suffering. They were suffering. They were oppressed. They were mistreated. Some of them suffering for being a Christian, for following Jesus. And so James talks to them about patience, patience in the hard times, patience when it's difficult. And he says two things about patience, which we need to hear tonight. Two things about patience. Number one, we need to be patient and wait. Number two, we need to be patient and persevere. Patiently wait, patiently persevere. Let's look at the first thing. When life is hard, we need to patiently wait. You can see down in your Bibles, James chapter 5, he talks about patience over and over again. Look at verse 7. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains? You too, be patient and stand firm, because the Lord's coming is near. James says, be patient, be patient, be patient. Why? Because the Lord is coming. Jesus is returning. The Bible makes clear that Jesus lived amongst us. He died on a cross for our sins. He rose again from the dead, having victory over sin and death. He's seated at God's right hand. But you know, in, in, God's, in God's plan, the next big chapter, the next big thing, is Jesus coming back. That's the next big event, according to his plans. And when he returns, it's going to be an incredible day for us all. Because on that day, Jesus will return and wipe all tears from our eyes. There'll be no more death, no more suffering, no more crying, no more pain. On that day, we'll see Jesus face to face. We'll worship him in his presence. It's going to be incredible. On that day, our world will be restored. Our bodies will be made perfect. It's going to be an awesome day. I don't know about you, when was the last time you thought about that? I wake up in the morning and I, I think about coffee, firstly. And then I think about all the things I need to do in that day, all the things that the people I'm meeting, the work I have to do. I rarely wake up and think, Jesus could come back today. And James says, he's coming back, so patiently wait for it. And it also says Jesus isn't just going to come back to be worshipped and to wipe away all suffering. He's actually going to come back as a judge. 
come back as a judge. Do you see it there, verse 9? It says at the end of verse 9, the judge is standing at the door. Jesus is like a judge. He's standing at the door. He's about to knock. He's about to come. On that day, he would judge all the suffering we see in this world. When we look at Christchurch and the shooting there, don't we just hunger for justice? Don't we just hunger for wrongs to be put to right? It's going to happen when he returns. James is writing to these people who are suffering, and he goes, be patient. The wrongs will be put to right. The suffering will be done away with. Justice will come. But it's also a challenge for us because we'll all be judged. Every single one of us will stand before Jesus. And that day will be terrifying because we've all sinned against God. We've all rebelled against him. Now, for, for those of us who trusted Jesus, we need to remember God gave up his son for us, for all of us. The offer is open to everyone to be forgiven, to be saved from that judgment. And if you trust Jesus, you don't have to fear it. You don't have to fear it because you know that's a day of hope. But for others, it's a challenge. It's actually a challenge for us all. Are you ready for that day? Are you ready for when Jesus is going to come back? Have you repented of your sins? Have you trusted him? He's coming. So be patient. Be patient for the day. Long for it. Be expectant for it. Suffering will be done away with. Wrongs will be put to right. It's going to be a fantastic day. What does he say next? Verse 8. He says, you too be patient and stand firm. Stand firm. That word stand firm in the original language, in the Greek, it means strengthen your hearts. Strengthen your hearts. Isn't that lovely? It means as you wait for Jesus, strengthen yourself from the inside out. From the core of your being, fortify yourself. From the core of your being, long for his return. From the inside out, wait for him to come back. Don't be distracted by the sin of the world. Don't be distracted by the world's priorities. Don't be double-minded. But set your hearts, strengthen your hearts on his return. He's And then he says, verse 9, verse 8, sorry, the Lord's coming is near. It's near. Do you believe that? It's near. We don't know the actual date. Many people tried to predict the date. You may remember this man, Harold Camping. Anyone remember this man? 2011, uh, Harold Camping uh, predicted the world would end on May the 21st, 2011. And he had, he had millions of followers listening to his radio station, and they believed him. Harold put up 5,000 billboards around the US. He paid for books to be translated and pamphlets to be translated. He paid for it all by donations by his listeners. And people believed him. They started spending all this money on their credit cards because they thought, oh, I'm not going to have to pay that off. They, they quit their jobs. They, they threw parties. They organized uh, celebrations. They they did everything. They they bought it. And May the 21st came, went, and Jesus didn't come back. Now, we actually don't know the date. All we know is it's near. It's near. The Bible talks about Jesus coming back like a thief in the night. 
a thief in the night. When a thief is going to rob your house, they don't warn you. You don't get a phone call from a thief going, hey, I'm your local neighborhood robber, planning to rob your place, just want to work out a time that's going to suit you, don't want to be an inconvenience. No, no, it's a total surprise, totally unexpected. That'll be Jesus' return. It's near. You might be thinking, really? It's near? It's been 2,000 years. doesn't look like Jesus coming back is really near. Well, I've thought that many times before. But God's timing is different to ours, isn't it? There's a beautiful verse from 2 Peter chapter 3. It says this. It's up on the screens. Do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. It's a beautiful verse, isn't it? God is patient with us. He wants as many people to be saved as possible. But the day is coming. His timing is different to ours. It may seem like it's not near, but according to his plans, it's near. Has anyone read the line, The Witch and the Wardrobe? You know, you know, the children, they enter into Narnia through the back of the wardrobe. And they're in Narnia for decades, Narnia time. They're in there for decades. But when they come back out of the wardrobe, back into the real world, it's like only a few seconds have passed. That's what it's like. With the Lord, a thousand years is like a day. But he's near. Jesus is coming back. Are we ready? And are you being patient for that day? Even when it's hard, be patient. Well, in verse 9, James brings in this random stuff about grumbling. He says, Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you'll be judged. The judge is standing at the door. You may think, what on earth is he talking about? Why has he started talking about grumbling? Well, see, James is writing to people who are suffering, and he knows that when you're under pressure, that's the time you're tempted to grumble. I know that in my marriage. Christine and I know that the times that we're under pressure, when we're tired, when we're stressed, they're the times we're most likely to grumble to each other. And James knows that. And so he says, don't, don't grumble. And he's writing particularly to brothers and sisters, to Christians. He's writing particularly about grumbling in the church. Isn't it easy to grumble? I love that word, grumble. It's a word that sounds like what it means. Grumble, 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 grumble. I hate it when this person does that. I don't like the songs that we're singing. I don't like the decisions that the pastors are making. I don't like the direction the church is going. Grumble, 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 grumble. You do it so easily. And it's, it's particularly as when we're under the pump, when we're suffering, suffering, that we're tempted to turn in on each other. James says, don't be like that. If you, if you, if you grumble, you'll actually be judged, he says. So he's saying... Don't just be patient for Jesus. Be patient with each other. As you patiently wait for Jesus to come back, be patient with one another. Well, in the hard times, we need to be patient 
Firstly, patiently wait. Secondly, patiently persevere. Patiently persevere. See, does patiently waiting just mean we sit around, twiddling our thumbs, trying to pass the time? No. As we patiently wait for Jesus' return, it should spur us on to keep going, to keep pressing on, to keep persevering. I love modern history, and uh, one of the things I remember reading was about the concentration camp inmates in World War II. And you may know, I'm sure you know, of the way people suffered in those concentration camps. And historians have studied the experience of those people. They've realized that the, the ones that had hope, the ones that were waiting, waiting to be released, they were far more likely to survive. But the moment those inmates gave up hope, stopped waiting, they were far more likely to die. That's what hope does, doesn't it? That's what waiting does. It, it, it causes you to press forward, to keep enduring, to keep persevering. And so as we patiently wait for Jesus, we persevere. Look at what he says in chapter 5, verse 10. Chapter 5, verse 10. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You've heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. He gives some examples of patiently persevering. He talks about the prophets. You think of the Old Testament prophets, Jeremiah, who proclaimed Jesus' word, proclaimed God's message, and he suffered. You think of Ezekiel, proclaimed God's message, suffered. Daniel, proclaimed God's message, deported. That's the, that's the example that we see from the prophets. See, don't let anyone ever tell you the lie that following Jesus makes life easy. Don't let anyone ever tell you that lie. But don't get me wrong, following Jesus, I think, is the best life, the best choice you can make. It's, it's fantastic. But it doesn't necessarily mean life will be easy and smooth sailing. In fact, if you look at the prophets, and you look at Jesus, he actually said, if you're going to follow me, you need to take up your cross, be prepared to suffer. In our country, 50 years ago, Australia, we, we used to think of ourselves as a Christian nation, 50 years ago. Go back 20 years, and not so much a Christian nation, but we, we, we saw Christianity there, but it was just kind of irrelevant. That was people's attitudes towards Christianity there, but irrelevant. In 2019, I'm sure you noticed the, the shift. It's no longer that Christianity is irrelevant. Well, it's now that, for many people, the teachings of Jesus is something to be opposed something that makes people angry. And Jesus says we shouldn't be surprised about this. We've, we've, our brothers and sisters around the world have been suffering for Jesus, facing death for years. We're just catching up. We shouldn't be surprised when we see churches in Sydney kicked out of their meeting places because they preach the Scriptures as the Word of God. We shouldn't be surprised when we see pastors publicly shamed online because they preach the Scriptures. It, it, it's... 
it's something that we should expect. Suffering is promised. We know that it's going to come following Jesus. God's in control, though. He's good. He's loving. He's kind. But what we're called to do in that suffering is to persevere, to keep going. The tragic thing is that for a lot of Christians, it's when that suffering comes that they give up. They give up. Normally, people don't give up following Jesus in one day. It doesn't very often happen like that, that someone wakes up one day and goes, I don't think I'm going to be a Christian anymore. It's over the long term. It's a series of choices, devaluing God and elevating yourself, elevating the world. And it's a slow drift. And often suffering can lead people to give up. James says, persevere in the suffering. Keep going. Patiently push on. And he says, it's worth it. It's worth it. Do you believe that? It's worth it. Because you're blessed. You're blessed. Look at verse 11. Verse 11, he says, as you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. It's, it's worth it. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, it's up on the screen, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. There he's talking about suffering for being a Christian. But James says a similar thing. It's not just about suffering for being a Christian. It's about all kinds of suffering. All kinds of suffering. He says, blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. It's worth it pressing on. It's worth it persevering because you're blessed. Not so much blessed in this life, though you are, definitely. But particularly in the life to come, Jesus is talking about the crown of life that we will receive on that final day. It's worth it. It's worth it. He gives the example of Job. He gives the example of Job. Remember Job, how much Job suffered, how much he went through. And yet Job never gave up. He kept following God. Kept following God. And what, what does James say? Well, you've seen what the Lord finally brought about. God restored Job. You know, it's the same for us. Not necessarily that if we trust Jesus that God will take away our suffering in this life. He might. He's a God who answers prayers. Let's pray big things. But he doesn't promise that. What he does promise is he's working all things together for our good. All things together for our good. In the scheme of eternity, when we get to that final day, we'll see how he's working. We might see it in hindsight now, but certainly on that final day, we will see that God has blessed us, that persevering was worth it, and that he brought all things together for our good. Your present pain is not the end of the story. Your present pain is not the end of the story. So persevere. You might be here tonight and feeling weary. Weary by life. Weighed down by the troubles of this world. 
maybe weary by following Jesus. You're finding it hard following Jesus. What Jesus is saying to us tonight, persevere, be patient. Jesus is coming back. It's soon. It's near. He's standing at the door. On that day, justice will be done, that justice we hunger for. On that day, our tears will be wiped away. We'll see him face to face. Patiently wait and patiently persevere. Keep on pressing on. Keep on trusting. It's worth it. We have the hope of eternity, the hope of a crown of life. Keep trusting. Keep persevering. Let's pray. God, as we look at this world, it's hard to be patient sometimes. It's hard to be patient with others. It's hard to be patient as we struggle, as we go through the hard moments. But help us to be patient by your spirit. Empower us. Give us the strength to be patient. Help us to trust you, to patiently wait for your return. Lord, help us to persevere, to keep pressing on, even in the hard times. And Lord, we pray from the bottom of our hearts, come, Lord Jesus, come. Amen.